this bucket living here? Like, can it, can it move? Because I, I'm, thank you. I know, I, I would. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hey, okay, good. Making sure you're out there. Um, again, Susan Eaton, uh, for those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, um, like Eric said, I'm Associate Pastor Parkway Heights across the street from you guys, basically. Um, been there seven years. Uh, I am married to Stuart, who is a therapist at Forest General Hospital. We have two children, Will and Rachel, who are both high school students at Oak Grove High School. Um, here in Hattiesburg, um, and I am thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled that you guys are here. Um, great to see you guys out here on a Tuesday night. I serve on the board here at the Wesley because, like Eric said, I, I believe in what the Wesley Foundations do on our campuses. Um, I am a product of the Wesley Foundation at the University of Mississippi, and I'm not sure how I would have navigated college or my call to ministry without that. Um, without the Wesley Foundation, I absolutely know that neither of my children would exist because that is where I met my husband. So Wesley Foundation is bringing life in all kinds of ways into the world. That was a joke. That was funny. Okay, thank you. Um, I listened to Cynthia's podcast last week. How many of you were here last Tuesday when Cynthia was here? It was so good. It was very powerful what she had to say about race and reconciliation. Um, and that is such an important topic, and Cynthia has so much wisdom on that through just her own experiences and um, her maturity and everything that she brings to that. I mean, it is crucial that we learn to live harmoniously with all people. It is crucial that we do everything in our power to defeat attitudes like, like racism and hate towards other people. And, and the fact is... That, that that battle doesn't necessarily begin out there somewhere with, with people that we don't know. But actually, that, that battle of defeating attitudes like, like hatred and bitterness and contempt, um, those battles begin with our everyday relationships. The way we relate to the people that, that we interact on, with on a regular basis, um, it begins with how we communicate with our friends, um, how we deal with our families, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our professors, um, everybody. So, so tonight's topic is broken relationships and reconciliation. Um, and I will not ask you to raise your hand to let me know if you've ever had a broken relationship because... Everybody has had a broken relationship, right? I mean, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. So Genesis 26 will be um, our beginning text for tonight. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to uh, turn there, we'll, we'll get to verses 26 through 29 in a minute. But let me give you a rundown of Genesis 26 because it is basically a case study in messed up relationships. Um, so here, here's what Genesis 26 is about. Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, um, he has to move into an area um, called Gerar because the place where he was living was experiencing a famine. So he was actually on his way to Egypt, and God was like, no, 
I want you to stop in Gerar, and I want you to live as a, as a foreigner in this land. Um, and so Isaac's time there in Gerar among the Philistine people began with Isaac lying to the king, King Abimelech, um, tells him a big fat lie, which causes a severe lack of trust uh, between Isaac and all of the Philistine people, actually, from that point forward. Then, when Isaac actually began to prosper and was becoming wealthy, the Philistines became jealous of him, and so they kicked him out. They said, you know what? You're getting too powerful for us, so you're going to need to leave. We don't trust you, you liar, right? So then the Philistines did something more, okay? It wasn't bad enough that they, they kicked him out. They broke the covenant that, that they had made with Abraham, Isaac's father, right? That they would leave all those wells alone that Abraham had dug, and they went and they stopped up all those wells. So they did that. Isaac, therefore, he's been kicked out, and he's out in this valley, and he has no water. He's got no wells that are open, okay? So that was problematic. When he tried to dig new wells, then they would come up and argue with him about that well and say, you know what, no, that's not your well, that's our well. And then Isaac would say, no, I dug this well. Me and my men, we dug this well. This is our well. And they would say, no, it's ours. And no, it's mine. No, it's ours. And so Isaac would find and he'd move along, start digging another well, and guess what would happen? That's our well. You can't have that well. That's our well. He's like, I literally, I like just dug this well. You know, nope, it's ours. And so that happened on and on until Isaac finally decided, I got to get out of this cycle. I've got to, I got to move out of this quarreling and this opposition and go somewhere else. And so he finally did. He finally made it into the space where he and his men, they dug a well and nobody quarreled with him over this well. And he called that space Rehoboth and it means broad place. He had finally made it into a place where he was not involved in quarreling and opposition anymore. He'd gotten distance from it. And then we get to verses 26 and 29. Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Philcol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and you have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So, so we say, let there be an oath between you and us and let us make a covenant with you so that you will do us no harm and flag this, just as we have not touched you and done nothing to you but good and sent you away in peace. Just, just flag that. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So here Isaac is. He's doing well. He's prospering. He's probably just grab, glad to be out of that vicious loop of just constant arguing and fighting and opposition from the people around him. And here comes Abimelech out of nowhere right up into his peaceful space. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, where you have been in a relationship with someone, or you, you've been in contact in a work environment or other kind of relationship where it was just contentious and terrible and stressful, and you finally make your way out of that, and then somebody from that contentious past steps right back into your personal space, so to speak, your peaceful place, and reaches out, 
I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but that is exactly what has just happened to Isaac here in these verses. And what was the first thing out of Isaac's mouth when he saw them? Give me your version of what that said. It's not still up there. Do you remember? What are you doing here? You hate me, remember? You guys hate me. Remember, you kicked me out. What are you doing here? So does it sound like Isaac is in a place where um, he's ready to treat these guys with hospitality and welcome and maybe be reconciled with them in any way? Does he? No, not so much. He's not really sounding like that. Um, I think I hear a little baggage from the past talking. Um, there's some emotion, maybe some lingering anger, maybe some bitterness in Isaac still over what has occurred between all of them in the past. I mean, it just makes you wonder, if you stop right there, um, if this is going to go very well based on his initial response. But what was the response to Isaac's reaction to them? What did they say back? We see plainly that the Lord is with you. Like, we, we see that you're the blessed of the Lord. We see this. And then they went on to explain that they wanted to make a covenant with Isaac um, so that Isaac would not harm them, just as they had not harmed him. They had sent him away in peace, right? Which we'll say more about that in just one moment. But for right now, here's what I want you to focus on. They wanted to make peace. They wanted some form of reconciliation with Isaac. So Isaac now has some options in front of him. So what do you think are some of Isaac's options here? What could he do? Anyone? Okay, I'll tell you what I think. Um, he could argue with them about the exact nature of the past and try to be right. Don't you hear a little bit of a discrepancy in, in their memory of maybe what went down and, and what, what actually happened a little bit? So he could do that. He could say, you know what? No, that doesn't sound right to me. He could blame them for the past and claim that he's the victim. You know, he might say something like, um, I think I might be remembering a different past from you guys because as I recall you kicked me out and then you harassed me in the valley every time I just tried to get some water you guys were there picking on me you drove me crazy that time of my life was miserable I was stressed out I was anxious and it is all your fault not to mention the fact that you broke the covenant you made with my dad and you knew that was good for more than one generation you knew it good and well he could have said stuff like that right would he have been right? He would have been right. All day long, he would have been right. Um, he could hang on to the past. He could be bitter about it and refuse to make peace with them and kick them out just the way they had kicked him out. Or what's, what's another option? Come on, guys. I heard Cynthia pulling answers out of you. I heard it. I listened to the podcast. What do you think is another option that's different from these? Could forgive him. He could, he could accept the offer, right, of reconciliation. So here's the thing about Abimelech and his men approaching Isaac. Regardless of whether or not Abimelech's memory 
or his reasoning of the past was 100% accurate that just did not matter anymore. Isaac had moved away from that. Um, what was important was that he was reaching out to Isaac to make peace, not to be his best friend, not to be his roommate, not to join the same fraternity or go to all the football games together, or get coffee together on campus all the time, but to say, let's put the past behind us and let's commit to do no more harm, period. Let's let it go and let's commit to do no more harm. So Abimelech made the first move, and now it was Isaac's choice how he would respond. So I wonder if you were in Isaac's position, how you might respond, or if that has already happened to you, that this scenario sounds really familiar. How did you respond? And if that has happened to you, what might you do differently if you had that opportunity again? Um, Isaac made them a meal and they sat down together and they ate and the next morning they got up and they made a covenant and Abimelech and his men departed from Isaac in peace and they were reconciled that was huge I mean if there was any relationship that you would look at and say that will never be able to be worked out. There is no reconciliation that is possible there that has been too much junk that has gone on. It is totally impossible. It would be that relationship, and yet it happened. And it happened in large part because of the transforming work that Isaac allowed God to do in him while he was in that pushed-out place, while he was in that valley, and he was having to think about who he was going to be, the kind of person he was going to be. Is he going to keep hanging on to this kind of stuff and be right all the time to the detriment of all his relationships? Or is he going to move past that and be about something bigger that God has called him to be about? So we may have some relationships that we think there's absolutely no way I will ever be able to forgive that person for what that person did to me. Never will I forgive. Never, ever, 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 ever. We'll never be reconciled to them. We might have some relationships that we think about in that way, but we're capable of more than that, aren't we? Now look, in situations of abuse, where there is danger, someone has perpetrated some harm against you, reconciliation is not always going to be possible, nor would it be wise, but forgiveness is always possible, even when reconciliation is not. But most of our relationships, most of the quarrels we get into, most of the arguments, most of the, the back and forth we get into are not dangerous abuse situations. They're just relationships we're having trouble with. Someone has lied to us. Someone has stood us up. Someone has, um, you know, just hurt us in some way, and it's, it's not dangerous. And so we can move forward in those kinds of situations. So I just wanted to definitely draw a distinction there that I am not talking about if you have been abused by someone that you should go let them reenter your life, okay? So we're not talking about that tonight. That's for another series, isn't it, Eric? <laughs> That's a different one. Okay, so here are some key steps to experiencing reconciliation in your broken relationships. Um, first, you know what? We've just got to start with ourselves. Um, 
got to start with ourselves by throwing off the old and putting on the new. Okay, so listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.22 through 5.2. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to look it up, Ephesians 4.22 through 5.2. Here's what he says. He says in verses 22 through 24, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So here's the deal. When you surrender your life to Christ, you are filled with the Spirit of God. God's very presence makes his home in you and begins to transform you, making you more and more into his image as you work with him in that process, renewing your thoughts, renewing your attitudes so that you can be kind like God is kind, so that you can forgive the offenses of others the way God forgives the offenses that we perpetrate against him, so that you can act in love towards others, even your enemies, just like Christ did, and just like God continues to do, to this very day, and always will. Now, the Apostle Paul is saying here that Christ makes us new, right? But it's not without our cooperation. His part is transformation. Our part is that cooperation. And cooperation looks like throwing off old ways of thinking, old ways of reacting, old sinful nature stuff, and letting him renew your mind and renew your thoughts um, and your attitudes. Um, So it starts with ourselves by throwing off the old, putting on the new, and then choosing to practice kindness and choosing love on the regular, right? To just be kind. And listen, if you're mad at somebody and you are hurt by somebody, even the smallest, tiniest acts of just general courtesy can be like climbing Mount Everest, can't it? You know, I will not say anything nice to that person. No. What are you doing walking up into my space again? I got away from you And you're acting like nothing happened, right? And to be kind to them, to not say a cruel word about them, to not gossip about them, and to actually give them some kindness, that can be like, well, you know, hell can just freeze over right now, right? I can't even imagine that happening, right? So choose kindness and love regularly. Okay, so continuing in this Ephesians passage, here's what Paul says. Stop telling lies. (laughs) Y'all quit it. Cut it out. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I want to be clear about something here. Paul is not saying that anger, the emotion, anger in and of itself is a bad thing. Anger is a legitimate emotion. I mean, it's just one of our emotions. Anger is damaging 
when we hold on to it, when we let it stay. Because when we hang on to anger, that's when it starts festering and turning into other nasty stuff like bitterness and resentment and vengeance. And you may not think yourself a vengeful person because you're not like blowing up someone's house or doing other very violent things. But we, we will desire our own form of vengeance for people in our own little ways by like, I hope she doesn't get that job. I hope she doesn't get that date with that guy. I hope, you know, whatever it might be, right? Vengeance. Okay. He keeps going. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Think about that when you're struggling with someone or a situation and the way you talk about it with others. Um, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So if you apply that in the midst of your situations and relationships where there's brokenness and there's hurt, if the words that come out of your mouth about that are for building the others up who hear you talk about it and not to tear the person down who's hurt you, like that's how you're going to be putting kindness and love into the world instead of evil and hatred. Last one. So we start with ourselves by letting go of throwing off old sinful stuff, by choosing kindness and choosing love, and by practicing forgiveness. This is what he says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So practicing forgiveness starts with being tenderhearted. And look, this word that we've translated tenderhearted is a Greek word that means goodness at the gut level. So the word is actually eusplognos. Let's all say that together, shall we? Eusplognos. That's why Greek is fun. So that you, the prefix you, means good, and um, splognon literally means the visceral organs, bowels. So what this word is saying, again, is that being tenderhearted is about being gut level good like it's not behavior modification it's not just behavior modification well I'll just suck it up and I'll I'll fake smile my way through this next time I see that person I'll grit my teeth it's not it's not about that it's being good in your depths being good to the innermost part of who you are because, you see, Paul is talking about us being renewed, like our thoughts completely being renewed, our hearts being completely renewed, like a, an actual transformation of our whole selves. So, like, your, your reactions you used to have. He's saying, like, you let Christ come in and transform you and you live by his spirit. Those old reactions, when you get 
offended easily, when you act defensively towards certain people because they're always rude to you or they always look down on you or whatever he's saying, that gets completely transformed. That you don't even have to live by any of that old stuff anymore. And the Holy Spirit works in you to make you good at your gut level, at the core of who you are, tender-hearted, complete change, transformation at the gut level. It's about living from a completely different center. That's what Paul's talking about. Put off your old. You don't need that anymore. It's not working for you. It has nothing to do with who Christ has called you to be and what he has done in your life. And live from your Christ center, being good at the very depths, the innermost of who you are. Because, see, Jesus, he didn't want us just acting like good people and walking around hating people in the meantime. Well, that's a really nice person. Well, he's full of hate. You know, I mean, he wants us transformed completely. Jesus didn't come and die and rise again to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And you holding on to anger and bitterness and us grabbing on to that rage and holding all that in, do you know what that does? It does not make us live. It makes us die. It brings death to our bodies to our minds, to our souls. It brings death to our spirits. It brings us death. And Christ came so that we would live. So I've got to be totally transformed at a gut level. That's a good ringtone. And that includes doing that hard work, sometimes very painful work of forgiveness. Sometimes even the thought of forgiveness just makes us want to throw up, doesn't it? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, so John 20, verses 19 19 through 23. Jesus has been crucified, and he's, he's resurrected, right? He's come back from the dead, and he appears to his disciples. And this is what it says. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, listen to this part, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Up until this past spring, (laughs) I am a grown woman who has been in ministry for a long time. And up until this past spring, those verses there confused me to no end. Because I always heard Jesus' words a little bit like this. Receive the Holy Spirit. You guys now have the authority to forgive sins 
like I do. So, Peter, let's take you, for instance. If you decide that Joe Schmo's sins should be forgiven, then you know what? I support that decision, and I agree with you, and I will forgive his sins. But, however, Peter, I'm giving you this authority. If you decide that Joe Schmo's sins are too gross and horrible and that he should not be forgiven, then, again, I support that decision, and I'm with you, and you don't have to forgive him, and I won't either. Now, does that sound right? Somebody please tell me that that does not sound right to your ears, okay? And I knew that that didn't make sense. And I knew it, it didn't match the character of God. And it didn't match anything Jesus had done. But I was just confused. And so I just did what we all do when we encounter something in Scripture that we don't understand. I just moved past it and acted like it wasn't there. Not a recommended method of scripture study um but this year during lent i was reading that passage and i had one of those aha moments where god was like susan get it together here listen right and so this is what this is what i i, I realized that jesus wasn't giving the disciples some special privilege to choose not to forgive when they didn't feel like forgiving he was telling them how crucial forgiveness is to the transformation of the world and the bringing in of his kingdom so listen again verse 23 receive the holy spirit if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so here's what I realized. When we retain the sins of others, when we remain angry and bitter and vengeful and all of that stuff, the spiritual forces of wickedness that are at work in this world, they still have power over you and over that relationship where that brokenness and hurt has occurred. How? How do they still have power there? Because refusing to forgive, it just brings more brokenness into my life. It brings sickness. It brings death into our bodies, our minds, and our souls. And then, listen, that brokenness that I have allowed to just keep coming into me is going to affect my other relationships. And then it's going to continue on its evil effects will then bleed into the community because it's affecting me and then it's affecting my other relationships and then it's in fact affecting those people and it just bleeds out into the, com into the community. Forgiveness, though, breaks that power. It stops the cycle. It completely breaks that power. You see, God through Christ has already chosen not to retain our sins. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? Father, retain their sins. They're a bunch of jerks. They don't deserve it. What did he say? What did he say, Father? Forgive them. Don't hold this against them and you know jesus was saying i don't retain this you have inflicted on my body and on my emotions the very worst of yourselves but i will not take this to my grave the sun will not go down on me holding on to anything i let it go and that's how he defeated it 
because he didn't retain it. And so because Christ has already done the ultimate work of forgiving and letting go and not retaining, see, then my forgiveness of another person now has a greater impact. Because, you see, while God has let it go, we can retain it if we want to. I can do that. It's my choice. But when I let it go, then forgiveness will have its final and ultimate effect, and I will be defeating the forces of evil at work in this world that seek to continue to bring brokenness and death into life after life after life. Tom Oden said in his book, Life in the Spirit, that God not only forgives sins through the Son, but that through His Spirit, which we've already said is at work within us, He can overturn the power of sin in actual, daily, interpersonal relationships, behavior, and life in community. That through the Spirit at work in us, when I allow Him to do His transforming, renewing work in me, that's where that transformation in, in relationships and in community, in my everyday interactions with the people around me, transforms it completely, overturns the power of sin in those relationships. In other words, guys, listen, we have the power within us to overturn evil and the power of sin through forgiveness. We have the power to do that. So is it any wonder then why it is so hard for us to do that? Why we come up against so much struggle just to forgive someone, just to talk it out with someone who's hurt us, just to be willing to keep our mouths shut, to not say something mean about them or hateful about them, and to speak a kind word instead. Y'all, it's hard because it's a spiritual battle. And it is raging. And we get so caught up in it because we want to be right. All day long we can be right. And we will be dying the entire time. But you'll be right. You'll just be sicker and sicker. And listen, I don't just mean spiritually sicker. You will get physically ill. This will make you physically ill if you retain that stuff. You hold on to that, you're going to get an ulcer. You're going to start getting headaches. You're not going to be able to sleep. You're going you're, you're to start hurting everywhere. You're not going to know why. You will become sick. So don't bring that death into your bodies or your minds and your souls. It's not easy. Forgiveness is not easy. It goes against our natural inclinations to, to pride and self-protection, right? Um, again, sometimes even the thought of it just makes us sick and mad all over again. But it's why it's so critical that we become men and women who are sourced by love and we're letting the Spirit renew us. And we choose to be kind and tender-hearted, gut-level good, changed by the Spirit. We've got to create an environment in our souls that is inhospitable 
to, to hate and anger and bitterness. We've got to lean in to everything God is and ask him repeatedly to fill us up with his spirit. We've got to choose to die to pride, die to being right in order to live in freedom and abundant joy. And look, death is never easy. Dying to those things, it's going to hurt. It always hurts. And listen, depending on how long you have held on to some of this stuff, it can, it can really take some time, too. Just be patient with yourself and remember that God's not co- um, condemning you. He, he understands your pain. He has all the time you need, but he understands you. And I want to make sure you hear that, that God was there when the hurt was inflicted. And when your heart broke, his heart broke. And when you're sad and when you're angry and you don't know what to do, he's right there with you. He understands your pain. But listen, while he's never going to condemn you when you hang on all this stuff and you're struggling, it also grieves him when you carry around in your body and your mind and your soul something that's only going to bring you death because he wants life, abundant life full of joy for you. That's his greatest desire. So let it go. You know, whatever anger or whatever bitterness um, is, is going on, they're not your friends. Trust God to replace that pain with his healing and his joy. Um. Can I just tell you three things that might be helpful if you need to have some courageous conversations with someone who's hurt you? Do, do we have time? Are y'all good? Can I keep going? Okay. <laughs> I don't know how much time I was supposed to have. Okay. That's the other thing. If we're going to find some reconciliation in our broken relationships, and y'all, this might be the hardest part. I and mean, forgiveness is pretty darn hard, but you know what? This is going to put some feet to it, and this is where we start sweating. And, and thinking maybe we don't really want to entertain this idea at all. But it's having courageous conversations. So if you need to have a courageous conversation some, with someone, first thing I want you to be thinking about is why do I want to do that? Like what are my motivations behind it? Is it to be right? Is it to play the victim? Is it to shame them? Is it to belittle them? Is it to embarrass them? Is it, you know, whatever. Then, 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 then don't have the conversation. If those are your motivations, don't do it. Stop. Wait. It is not time. You've got to give that some space to do that. Um, It's got to come from a place of love or it's not going to be successful. Because, you see, if I approach someone with my own interest at heart, but I don't have the interest of the other person in mind at all, then, then the words that come out of my mouth are coming to serve me, and they're not necessarily coming out to serve the other person. I'm not concerned about their healing. I'm, I'm concerned about my justification. 
So we've got to check our motivations. And the place to check your motivations is, is in a place of prayer and in a place of stillness where you can talk to God about this. And look, God's got broad shoulders, and you're not going to shock him with anything you could say. So you can yell it out with him. You can tell him the nastiest, grossest stuff that's inside of you, but place it on him and let him check that with you, okay? So check your motivations in prayer and in that stillness here's something you could do that might be helpful imagine how you really want that relationship to be after the conversation is over like imagine a relationship that is either healed or is moving toward healing or just at least some honest authentic conversation about it like imagine what you want to accomplish and that's going to help you as you talk to stay focused on what's what the goal is instead of the lesser value of being right because you want healing right as much as possible as as far as it depends on you live at peace with one another that's what the apostle paul says so here's here's the third thing I want you guys to really hone in on when we start talking about broken relationships, okay? If you're going to have a conversation with someone, I want you to be mindful about when and where and how to have that conversation. It really should be in a neutral territory on a one-on-one -on -one basis and after a cooling off period if you're emotional about it. So let me say this. Social media, <laughs> texting, email. Those are not the places to bring up stuff that's hard or where there's been brokenness, where there's been hurt or pain. And what I'm seeing, not just with high school students or college students, but with adults of all ages, y'all, our culture is now doing this. We are having critical conversations and we're saying really important stuff through texting or we're blapping it out there on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat and we're doing all that stuff and what is that it is not a neutral place it is not on a one-on-one -on -one basis and it is usually not after a cooling off period so it doesn't meet any of the criteria for being able to have a courageous conversation that is going to bring some healing. Because now, instead of it being one-to-one, -one, right, now the whole world gets to watch. Also, you can't see someone's face. They can't see your face. They can't hear your tone of voice. You can't hear their tone of voice. And there is way too much opportunity for misunderstanding, misinterpretation. Have you ever seen this or experienced this? You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever sent a text or an email or just shot something out there online and as soon as you hit send, you instantly were like, I probably should have taken a half a second longer to think about that. You ever experienced that? Am I the only one in the room who has done that? Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're all fools in here. Listen, this is just something... We've got to grow in because the easy way out is to shoot it out with emotion. 
and again to be right and to be prideful and all that stuff but that just brings further brokenness if i am with someone face to face i have to encounter their humanity and i am less likely to say something hurtful when i'm face to face with them okay last thing be aware that there may be people with whom that you're not able to have a successful conversation with okay you can put the offer out there but you cannot force anybody to talk with you about stuff I mean you can muster up all the courage you want and you can make the offer and some people are just not going to do it sometimes it's just not possible to do it um, and it can only be a loving conversation if you're also unattached to the results so sometimes they will meet with you and the result is not going to be what you'd hoped for but you've got to be unattached to one specific result and you've got to trust that God's going to take that effort and the love you put into it and he's going to take it and do what he needs to do. You've got to leave it in his hands at that point. Because some people aren't ready. And they're not going to respond the way you may desire. So, leave it in the hands of your father if that is the case there. Um, if you guys are interested in going deeper on this whole idea of how to not live in fear, how to quit making assumptions about people, how to um, you know, not jump to conclusions and, and to move into healing and reconciliation and, and even living a life that is a forgiving kind of life where you're just letting go of offenses always. Um, the book I've just written is all about that. It's, it's a brief three-week study um, I think the first week has like three days of, to read. They're all brief. The second week has five, and the third week has five. And it'll just help you guys dive deeper into this whole, what this whole series is about, which is reconciliation, forgiveness, living in love, being someone who is contributing love into the world instead of hate and evil, right? So I've got on that table out there, I brought with me some book stubs, and on those are some codes where you can get a free ebook. Um, so if, if you don't want, I have paperback copies in this box up here. They're $10, but if, if you don't have $10 or you're like, nah, I like ebooks anyway, I've got 25 of those out there. So you are welcome to just take one of those for free. And if you want to see me um, and, and get a book, I'd be happy to, to, to get you one tonight. Kaylin has already gotten her book tonight. Whoop, whoop. So, um, and I'm available to chat if, if you guys um, want me and I'm I'm accessible because I'm across the street all the time so at Parkway Heights so if you ever need an objective ear to help you work through a difficult situation I'd be honored to be one of your people that can maybe help you walk through that you guys are blessed to have Eric and um, his presence here with you He's wise so access him and and just surround yourselves with good people who 
Look, we're all on the journey together. None of us get it right all the time. I get messed up by stuff all the time. But you want to be surrounding yourself with good people who are trying to journey towards love and forgiveness like you are. So you, there's sometimes you might have to distance yourself from people who are not helping you in that area. Spend more time with the people who can support that kind of life. Um, and I believe that as you guys work on that and you mature in that, you're going to find that a lot of brokenness in your relationships can be mended, can be avoided altogether sometimes. Um, and I'm praying for that for you. Because if you can learn that young, like what a powerful person you will be for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we just, we love you. We thank you for calling us into a life that is of love, that is sourced by you, your very spirit, that transforms us at the very depths of who we are. God, thank you that you do not desire death for us, but you desire life for us, and you desire that we would embrace things that bring life and throw off things that will bring death into our bodies, our minds, and our souls. Holy Spirit, forgive us. Jesus, forgive us. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have fallen short, for the ways that we have hurt others and we haven't apologized. God, forgive us tonight for the ways that we have retained and held on to the sins and the offenses that others have perpetrated against us, how we have desired nothing good for them. But in our own way, we've imagined vengeance. Forgive us for embracing that. Forgive us for our pride and our selfishness. And Lord, as we walk as forgiven people, renewed by your spirit, welcomed, embraced by your love, God, would you overwhelm us with that truth that that is who we are and that is what you have done for us? And would you help us to just walk in that and live that out to the people around us, God? You're just asking us to do for others what you've done for us. So God, transform us so that we can do that. Thank you for, for your forgiveness. Heal us, God. Bring us into new life. And may our relationships be a testimony to your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' holy powerful and precious name we pray. Amen.